Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, October 20th, 2011. You know, I held off on my uh, uh, light edition until tomorrow. <laughs> I'm kind of wishing I hadn't now. My brain hurts. Oh, man. My heart hurts, too, man. Ah. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of just off-the-wall stuff being said about God, about Jesus, about Christianity and Christians. Um, so much so that uh, sometimes at the end of the day, your brain is short-circuited and you just want to slouch into a chair and just go, why, why, why? <laughs> it's just that bad. Anyway, um, so yesterday's edition of Fighting for the Faith, we, uh, well, we did um, something that I I thought would be fun, and that is, is that uh, we... Uh, we we did the train wreck episode of fighting for the faith and and what i mean by that is is that it, there was no particular theme for yesterday's edition of fighting for the faith and instead of having a, a theme it was just kind of um you know a scattered buckshot train wreck approach and at the end of it uh, everything it just the wreckage was strewn everywhere and uh, as I was preparing for today's program, I realized this is like train wreck part two. I cannot find a theme for these. Uh, the, the what's currently in the news of the things that are coming to my attention right now, and as a result of it, I just got to warn you: this is another one of those editions of Fighting for the Faith where, um, at the end of the first hour, um, your head might be spinning, and you, you <laughs> and I think that's what I. I'm beginning to think that might be what the plan is, is just to short-circuit everything so that at the end of it, you just say, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, don't don't give into that, by the way. Don't give into that. Uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, was it, it's in Scripture, and I think it was Jesus who pointed out the fact that in the, um, the, that in the last days, because the, really the rise of evil, that the love of many will grow cold. So, yeah, don't, don't, don't uh, let your love for Christ and the gospel grow cold in the face of all these crazy things being done out there. 
Uh, that's, um, you know, the, no, no, you hang on to the gospel, hang on to that, rejoice in it and preach that faithfully. It's becoming harder and harder for people to, uh, hear the biblical gospel of Christ and him crucified for our sins and the clarion call of the gospel to repent and be forgiven, uh, for the sake of Christ. But, uh, let not the uh, the evil days and the darkness that uh, seems to be getting darker by the minute um, keep you keep you from uh, from number one your your love for the gospel and number two your love for your neighbor in proclaiming the gospel to him. So anyway, I, I'm going to uh, have to play the warning again. I'll play the short version today because this is warning. Yeah. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spumant disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. Yeah, that's perfectly appropriate for, uh, you know, kind of train wreck edition part two today. Uh, and uh, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're, we're going to just kind of you know, do this scattergun style. We've got a whole bunch of different things that are just kind of disconnected, and I'll be playing them for you and in, 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 in responding, uh, hopefully appropriately. <clears throat> Uh, but uh, and then in hour number two, I, I've got to, for lack of a better way of fo- uh, putting it, I've got to kind of clear out the filter. And so I've decided that for hour number two, rather than listening to a bad sermon, we're going to listen to two good sermons uh, from Messiah Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington, by uh, uh, Pastor Ernie Lassman as a, as a way of uh, kind of unclogging the uh, the filter and getting some of the gunk out, if you if you understand what I mean. But uh, just kind of, you know, kind of ease into today's program. If you follow me on Facebook and Twitter, then you know that uh, from time to time, um, I do kind of like a series of tweets or Facebook status updates that all are kind of themed along a particular thing. I uh, uh, you know, think back to when I was did the uh, the series on you know if, if your pastor does this, he might be a wolf. And, uh, you know, I, I do things from time to time. Sometimes I, you know, it's, it's just a cathartic thing to kind of get things out. And, uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that over, over the years that I've been a Christian is that there's a lot of sniping that goes back and forth regarding, uh, well, Halloween. It's a controversial, uh, thing in Christian circles. And I, and I totally understand the, the controversy. And, and so I, I don't want you to think of this next segment as somehow a, you know, an endorsement. Um, you know, it's that's it, not really the purpose of it. But suffice it to say this: that uh, what I've noticed is is that uh, Christians across the country and and churches across the country, um, they they are really good at offering Halloween alternatives. So it's something that's a little bit uh, more and you know safe for the kids, if you understand what I'm saying. And so they have harvest festivals and things of that nature. Or you know, but uh, you know, we all know that yeah, the reason why the kids are dressed up and in the parking lot over at the church is because Halloween's taking place. So uh, w- what I decided to do uh, was put together a series of uh, tweets and status updates on Facebook, um, offering some uh, Halloween costume suggestions, and uh, especially in light of the fact that just about every one of these seeker-driven churches has some has some big time. Um, alternative Halloween event, uh, you know, planned for their uh, particular communities, and uh, and so I, I I've come up with some ideas here for some, 
what I think are some very creative, creative costumes that you can wear if uh, you want to attend one of these particular seeker-driven alternative Halloween events. So, uh, So here we go. Halloween costume, Halloween costume ideas um, uh, vis-a-vis Pirate Christian. Number one, uh, dress up as a bludgeoned sheep. Yeah, you might want to include, you know, like blood makeup and things like that. So dress up as a bludgeoned sheep, a sheep that looks like it has had the snot beat out of it. And then limp into uh, New Spring Church's um, <clears throat> Harvest Festival over there for uh, Perry Noble. Um, next one, uh, dress up. As an ESV study Bible. Yeah, that's right. Dress up as an ESV study Bible, then head on over to Saddleback Church to haunt Rick Warren. Okay, next idea. Dress up as the heaven as the heavenly blessing gnome. And then attend Eric Dykstra's church carrying a big bucket that says tithes. Next one. Uh dress up as Robert Morris and then yell at the kids in your neighborhood telling them that their candy is cursed until they give you ten percent of it. Okay, now alternate Halloween uh, costume idea, uh, if you want to go to uh, the Crossing Church, that's Eric Dykes' church, you could dress up as either Frat Boy Jesus or Wyatt Earp Jesus. Uh, let's see here. Another option, uh, dress up as an elephant, and then uh, oh, head on over to uh, uh, James McDonald's church, Harvest Bible Chapel in the Chicago area, and uh, and then sit conspicuously in the back of the room. Yeah, that's a great idea here. Let's see. Um, next one. Uh, dress up as Jonathan Edwards. That would be the uh, famous American Reformed pastor, Jonathan Edwards. So dress up as Jonathan Edwards and then attend Saddleback Church's event and walk up to Rick Warren and ask him if he recognizes you. Uh, next one. Dress up as the Mariachi Trench. That's right. You Dress up as the Mariachi Trench and then head on over to uh, Keith Craft's church. And uh, don't forget your sombrero and then say things like think be do. That Those are some important things here. Um, next one, dress up like a snow-covered lion. And then uh, head on over to uh, Mark Batterson's church and then uh, walk up to Mark Batterson and, you know, a snow-covered lion and tell him you clawed your way out of that pit. Okay, that's a good idea here. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, dress up as the sun. Yeah, dress up as the sun. And then head on over to Elevation Church, that's Stephen Furtick's church there in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then stand still right in the middle of the front row. Yeah, this is a great idea here. Um, Next one here, uh, dress up as William Tapley. That would be the third eagle of the apocalypse. And then audition for Hillsong's praise band while playing Doom and Gloom on your Casio. Yeah, that's a great idea. I see these... (laughs) Got to got to give myself props for the creativity here that I've you know just you know, I'm I'm learning how to be a creative innovative guy as a result of all of my contact with these seeker driven guys so you know I just can feeling the creativity flowing here okay um yeah and then uh, kind of last but not least this is the last idea um, dress up as one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse um, and then knock on Harold Camping's door. And tell him you're lost, and then ask him for directions. So those are my Halloween costume ideas uh, for this year's um, seeker-driven Halloween stuff. And, uh, you know, I just, again, you know, if you were looking, if you were just thinking, you know, I'm not sure what to, you know, what costumes to wear for Halloween. These, I think, provide you with some good creative you know, message sending type of uh, uh, of costumes. So, uh, if you do have, if you do dress up like any of those, uh, please, please, 
uh, send me a photograph and uh, link to it on my Facebook wall. Just, you know, I would want to see something like that. But uh, let's move along here. Oh, yeah, that means we're going to be doing a Stephen Furtick update. you think the Bible's about you. You're so vain. I bet you think the Bible's about you. Don't you? Don't you? Yeah, you know, I love, I really enjoy having backup singers. I don't get to have that happen to me very often. Anyway, yeah, that's, uh, you're so vain. I bet you think the Bible's about you. Um, okay, so here's the deal. Uh, like I've, I've mentioned from time to time here at Fighting for the Faith, Aside from my duties at Pirate Christian Radio, uh, you know, running the station and producing my own show here at Pirate Christian Radio uh, called Fighting for the Faith, um, wh- the other thing I do is I am the curator of the Museum of Idolatry. And you'll notice that there's seasons when there's a lot of new exhibits that go into the uh, Museum of Idolatry. And then there's times when, uh, you know, things kind of slow down a bit and, you know, and... <laughs> Because working on the Museum of Idolatry is um, not something that brings a lot of joy. It actually makes me depressed. But um, I think that I shouldn't do it during the darkest days of winter, especially when my serotonin levels are down. Anyway, um, so, <clears throat> yeah, so um, so here's the deal. Um, the folks over there at Stephen Furtick's church, um, Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, they've uh, recently posted a rap song. And... Um, Mm-hmm. The name of the rap song is I'm a Prodigy. I'm a Prodigy. Now, if you want to see this, head on over to the Museum of Idolatry. The Museum of Idolatry can be found at a littleleaven.com. And the name of this particular exhibit is Singing the Praises of Me, the Prodigy. So this song is not about Jesus, although you, if you listen carefully, you might hear something about Christ mentioned. But this song literally praises well me or the person singing or you know if you were singing along you'd be praising yourself for being such a prodigy i yeah here listen for too long lifeless i've lived with a faint heartbeat i've walked these blue streets lost in search of my life's purpose until i was awakened to the truth of the who i am found in unleashing the brilliant power unique to who i was created to be you see i'm more than what you see open more than your eyes and then you'll see the pulse of the creator in me Beating like a drum with the sound of light. 
Ah, man. Now life's like a fan feeding the flame. This world can't explain. But I tell you this, I'm a prodigy. Yeah, I'll tell you this, I'm a prodigy. Yeah, he's singing about himself there. Uh, you know, I remember, you know, the days at old school Christianity when, you know, when we would sing worship songs um, or hymns or, yeah, because, uh, you know, hymns are so outdated, but and so passe and so irrelevant. But yeah, the weird part about the hymns is that uh, they were always talking about Jesus, you know, like the things that he did, you know, dying on the cross for our sins and, you know, stuff like that. And they they were just chock full of good, sound doctrine. And now that we've gotten rid of them, you know, um, they've been replaced by songs that kind of well reflect this theology that um, mentions Jesus kind of sort of in passing. But really, uh, if you listen to the lyrics, the, this isn't a song about Jesus. And this is a song about me, the prodigy and me. I'm so great. I'm not what you, I'm more than what you see. I had, you know, I was struggling in life. I can't rap, by the way. I was struggling, and then I found my purpose, and okay. Singing the praises of me there, yeah. I, you know, it just makes me wonder if this is what Paul was warning about when he was talking about the church in the latter days, you know, <clears throat> preaching things to um, that would scratch itching ears, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, I'm uniquely powerful. Who knew? We are Gotta unleash what's inside of me. Now you wouldn't want to do that. Now it could destroy the world. So there you go, singing the praises of me. I am a prodigy. That's by uh, Elevation Church. You know, and it was funny because you know, as I was uh, watching that video, I was reminded of a particular passage from the Book of Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. Now, a lot of folks don't understand this. This is, uh, this is actually a song. It's, it's, uh, the, 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 this is a song in uh, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. And it reads like an ancient Hebrew dirge. So this is like a funerary kind of song. And the weird part about this is, is that, you know, there's a mourning piece to it. And then there's a real biting 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 dig in this one and so this is kind of a dirge if you would a a sad song about well lucifer 
Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> let me read this for you. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. How you are fallen from heaven, Lucifer, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north. Apparently, uh, Lucifer thought of himself as a prodigy. <clears throat> I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Uh, but you are brought low down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. Kind of a dirge written about Lucifer, the son of the dawn. So, um, yeah, um, I'm kind of hearing that. Um, that's the same things that Lucifer was saying before he got thrown down. Um, I was hearing that in this song, you know, singing the praises of me. Um, weird, don't you think? I mean, just, um, hmm, just makes you wonder. The folks there at Elevation Church are even aware that the Bible's about Jesus. Yeah, not about you and not about me. Uh, but it's about Jesus Christ. I I'm glad they mentioned Christ a couple of times because, you know, obviously you can't be a prodigy unless you're in Christ uh, somehow, but I don't even know what that means. So, um, <clears throat> not according to their theology. I isn't it weird how, you know, 2,000 years of church history, we've never quite heard anything like this? <clears throat> anyway, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition, or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so on my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hey, do you want to feel holier than thou? Try Bible Thirst, holy drinks for people who need gratuitous amounts of piety. With all new flavors like prosperity, instant abundance. It's like adding your bank account to an electrical storm. Sound the alarm, you're gonna be uncomfortably holy. What's that? You want mana? Well, how about super mana? Made with lightning. Real lightning. Preaching. Ah. You'll be good at it. It's a holy drink for men. Clergy. These aren't your pastor's puns. They are righteous puns. Piety puns. Sinner, saint, sinner, saint. Prayers, lights, cross lights, power lights, more lights than your body has room for. You'll be so holy, Mother Teresa will be like, slow down. And be like, no, 
and roundhouse kick her in the face with your Bible pants. You have so much holiness, holiness. Ah. Just praying all the time. Power praying, power preaching, power praising, power fasting, power meditating, power laughing, power responding, Chester. You have so much Chester. Just like Esau. Give prosperity to babies, they'll be holy too. Make your babies run abnormally fast. They'll be as fast as Elijah. People watch them running and think they're Elijah. They'll race as fast as Elijah. In a race with the actual Elijah. And it'll be a time they get deported back to Israel. Hey, go with the for sure thing. Don't gamble on your afterlife. Jesus. Try Bible thirst. The energy that will make you uh, holy. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseboro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, listen very carefully to the words used in the praise song sung at your church. Ask yourself this question, am I singing about myself? If you are, run! Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. Now, you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you are going to see two friendly yellow buttons. They're right there in the middle of the page. And one says donate, the other says join our crew. The join our crew button, that's all about signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you do that by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. And then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, these next two segments kind of fall into the category of, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah, okay, now, listen, okay, the guys like Mark Driscoll kind of stretch the the bonds of theological definitions when he claims that he's um, a charismatic Calvinist, um, but yeah, that, <laughs> that doesn't quite stretch the bonds of the imagination quite as much as, well, what you're about to hear. This is a preview for the uh, upcoming movie that's soon to be released entitled Holy Rollers, the true story of card-counting um, Christians. Yeah, here, listen in. Church does not approve of gambling. There are various forms of this evil, but they are all bad and should not be indulged in. 
he told us they were probably going to become missionaries. We thought, wonderful. And things had a way of changing. Right. <laughs> I was really excited when I heard about a blackjack team of all Christians. I was like, that's ridiculous. I play uh, on a blackjack team, most of you know. One thing that makes our team very different is that we're almost entirely made up of Christians. It doesn't seem like one of the most noble things a person could do in the world, but at least we can liberate the money from the clutches of those who would use it for ill purposes. <laughs> I mean, that's a start. Well, it's not gambling. It's just, you know, liberating the money being used for evil purposes. Uh, it's a social justice team. Okay. so far in the left field to think that someone would be a professional blackjack player, let alone have a whole team. And the fact that everyone we knew was in ministry of some sort was just awesome. I knew that there were good, godly people who cared about Jesus and cared about integrity and cared about me. That's one of the main reasons that I joined. Every time that I'd go into a casino, I would pray, like, God, bless me, you know. Those two things going together never gets old. <laughs> to baptize someone and then go gamble. Poetic justice. When we walk in a casino, pretty much everyone stops and watches us play. We're dealing with betting hands and winning and losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. I love it that there's $111,000 in here and a bunch of sands. Every once in a while, you'll get people that are taking extra pride in their job at finding out that you're a card counter. Yeah, he's going to get backed off tonight. I've seen enough. They'll spread into backroom you. They'll try to intimidate you. Have you ever seen they're going to try to find you? They're going to get you too. It's the nature of our business. We got the money. If you got the money, somebody's going to try to take it. I think they've been the most creative team. The changing of appearance and the extra effort as far as the kind of theatrics, I think that's a been exclusive. Oh, so they engage in deception. <laughs> yeah, that's just so Christian. So they dress up in costumes uh, in order to make it so that the uh, the guy the you know the pit bosses and the folks you know who are behind the cameras can't tell that it's them so that they can go and liberate money from casinos. You're right because you know theatrics and deception are just so Christian. It's a trait, so. So I love the idea of the camouflage and you know kind of how you're doing something that seemed wrong. Blackjack makes people reassess what Christianity is, and in a good way. We want to live in the gray, because in the gray, you've got to question who you are and what you're doing. We want to live in the gray, because in the gray, you have to question who you are and what you're doing. You got any verses for that? Anyone who seriously wants to be a disciple of Jesus should learn blackjack. God does all So if you want to seriously be a disciple of Jesus, I mean, I, yeah... I could imagine how that sermon is going to go. I mean, it'd be like yesterday's sermon, something along the lines of, are you just merely a Jesus admirer? Or are you really radically a real true Christ follower who's totally sold out? And you'll know that you're really sold out for Jesus because you've learned how to play blackjack and help liberate the, the money in the casinos so that it can't be used for evil purposes. If you're not doing that and living in the gray, well, you're not really sold out enough my needs and he knows exactly what order the cards are in the shoe yeah that's right god knows exactly what order the cards are in the shoe maybe he can ask god for a special 
vision casting prayer so that you can, you know, have x-ray vision to, um, to you know, cast your eyeballs into the shoe and see what the card, what next card is coming. So there you go. The Holy Rollers uh, premiere for the um, true story of card counting Christians. Um, yeah. Um, you know, somebody posted, they originally posted the link to this video on my Facebook wall yesterday. And, and you know, the the comments were something along the lines of, you know, I've just when I think I've seen everything, then then this comes out. And what do you what am I supposed to make of this? And um, here here is my suspicions about this is that stuff like this is um, well, um, well, what do I always point out the fact what got lost in this particular video? Oh, yeah, that would be Jesus Christ. Um, right. Yeah. I, um, so my question is how do these guys define the gospel and when, the, where does Jesus actually come into this? Cause this isn't the story of Jesus. This isn't Christians telling everybody about Jesus. This is uh, people who call themselves Christians telling them about their great blackjack skills and, uh, and, and their, and their mission to help liberate money from the evil casinos by engaging in deception and theatrics. And, uh, and you know, card counting. And by the way, I want everybody to know that card counting technically is not illegal. Uh, there is no, there are no laws against um, card counting. And, um, and, the, and what happens is the reason why casinos rough up guys like this is, well, because that's a lot of money leaving the casino. And, well, those guys are on private property. So the casinos have the right to, you know, if, you know, do the whole cat and mouse thing with these folks. But, um, yeah. So here's here's what happens. You see something like this, and all of a sudden it short circuits what you know to be true, and it begins to quest. It, it, it's like a post. It's a a postmodern um, conversation, if you would. It, it, this is postmodernity run amok. And so at the end of this, you're, you you don't even know what a Christian is anymore. Um, believe me when I tell you, um, Christianity has nothing to do with card counting. Uh, the biblical gospel doesn't have anything to do with this at all. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I asked the question at my uh, A Little Leaven uh, website at the Museum of Idolatry. My question is, is that with all the money that these guys have, um, you know, liberated from the casinos, uh, do they intend to open up a Christian strip club? I mean, I'm, I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, we... You know what's really missing nowadays is a place for you know Christian guys to uh, go and and watch Christian women do things that well that not most Christian women shouldn't be doing. But you know if it's done in a safe environment to Christian music, then I'm sure it's okay, right? You, you see, the, the the reason I say that though is because it's like wait a second, Christianity has nothing to do with strip clubs. It doesn't have anything to do with casinos. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ has nothing to do with the prodigy in you. It has to do with Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus Christ come to earth? Who was he? He was God in human flesh. Why did God become incarnate of the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary? For us men and for our salvation. Salvation from what? Sin, death, the devil, hell, the wrath of God. You see, the Christian story is about Jesus, not about holy rollers. And so you see something like this, 
And immediately, you, you know, synapses start, you know, at this point frying and melting down. You, you can smell the smoke coming out of your ears, you know, that's emanating from your brain. Right. And at this point, you don't even know what a Christian is anymore. I think that's the point. I think that's why these things come out. I think that's this is why this is out. This is designed um, on a different level, designed to short circuit what you know about Christianity, what you know about sanctification, what you know about uh, the life that that Christ calls us out of and calls us into, in order to basically short circuit all of that. So at the end of it, you you have to, you, you have, somebody asks you what is a Christian, you go I you know. I, I thought I knew. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure anymore. I just, I just don't know. And then once you get to that point, this, um, this movie has accomplished its goal. That's the goal. So yeah, it's, it's basically to challenge definitions and expand them in such a way that you just don't know what is going on. So and uh, I, I wish I could say it ends right there, but there's another, <clears throat> there's an, <clears throat> another um, a um, exhibit in the Museum of Idolatry that we've just put in also today. I put three of them in there today. So today we've got the uh, Singing the Praises of Me, the Prodigy. We've got Holy, Roller, Holy Rollers, the True Story of Card Counting Christians. And then this one. This one, by the way, is a video coming from a church that is a f- officially affiliated with the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Yes, even the Missouri Synod has seeker-driven pastors who are up to shenanigans like this. And the name of this particular exhibit is Love Your Unsaved Neighbor by Beating the Snot Out of Him. That's right. Love Your Unsaved Neighbor by Beating the Snot Out of Him. In fact, nothing quite captures the love that Jesus has for the world like a mixed martial arts smackdown right in your church's, well, parking lot. Here, uh, listen. It's from Lake Point Church, by the way, down there in Arkansas. Now, what you can't see here, I'll just kind of narrate this for you. It, they're showing mixed martial arts inside of a, you know, fenced-in cage, octagon style, and guys beating the tar out of each other. There's blood flowing out of that guy's nose. Oh, man. And by the way, this is all footage filmed in a church parking lot at <clears throat> Lake Point Church. Hey, man, I want to, guys, I want you to know the reason that we're doing this fight. We've got a twofold reason. And this is the pastor. Um, I think his name is Greg Bears. The first reason that we're doing this is really to let you know how much God loves you. There's some of you here that don't know that. So he's preaching from inside the octagon. Some of you, maybe you've been hurt by church. Um, maybe things have happened in your past and you don't feel like you can go to church. We want you to know that you're welcome at Lake Point. We're a church that we want you to come just as you are. It doesn't matter if if you've been into drugs. It doesn't matter if you've been divorced 18 times. It doesn't matter if if you're a homosexual. It doesn't matter. Okay, now I gotta stop here. Uh, Normally, guys who who get you know their uh, degrees at uh, either one of our seminaries generally have a little bit better theology than this. Um, Here's the deal. Um, It does matter. Whatever your past is, it actually matters. Here's the reason why I say this. By the way, this is from Lake Point Church in Hot Springs, um, Arkansas. Hot, hot, hot Springs, Arkansas. So when you hear a pastor say, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past, well, no, actually it does matter. 
And here's the reason why, because Jesus doesn't excuse sin. He doesn't just, you know, he's not like your grandpa. He doesn't have one of those Werther's butterscotches sitting in his pocket. And, you know, when you come up and, and even though you're being naughty, he, he doesn't just pat you on the head and say, oh, it doesn't really matter what you've done there. Here, here's a butterscotch. No, it does matter because every sin that you've committed, Jesus bled and died for. It does matter because look at what happened to Jesus. So if I mean, using kind of the metaphor of the <clears throat> cage fight, if you would, you know, a blood sport, um, beating the snot out of your neighbor. Um, see, by the way, uh, this idea of like, you know, having a cage fight and people beating each other up. I don't think that really exudes the love of Christ because Christ was beaten, scourged, whipped and crucified for us and for our sins and for our salvation. So it's, you know, here's the deal. Just telling somebody, listen, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Come on over to our church. We'll make you feel right at home. That's not the gospel. In fact, really, really far from it. What your past is, because we believe that God loves you and is more concerned about your future. Yeah, why don't you tell us what Jesus did regarding our past and our future sins? And so I, I want you guys to hear that right now. And, and, and some of you are hurt. Some of you are broken. These, these guys in here, um, you know, they're fighting a physical fight. But a lot of you are fighting a fight within the spiritual realm. With Fighting a fight in the spiritual realm. Okay, what would that be? Within, within finances, within your marriage. There's uh, my finances. How is that in the spiritual realm? I don't have, I don't get paid spiritual dollars. Um, you know, fighting for the faith in pirate Christian radio don't... Um, we can't pay our bills with spiritual bucks. We have to pay them with physical bucks. And my marriage, that's a physical thing, you know? All kinds of fights going on tonight, and I know that. And, and I've been there. And I just want to let you guys know that there's another way. The other thing is we got Stomp Out Hunger. This is a nonprofit organization. That so while we're stomping each other, you know, stomping on each other in the, um, the octagon there, uh, let's play a pun on, pun on words. We're going to stomp out hunger while we're here. Oh, that's great. We partnered with, and when you brought groceries today, you're helping to feed families in our community. So that's the other thing. We want to encourage you, if you did not bring groceries, either go to, Albert, uh, to Kroger and grab some, or you can give a donation. All of the T-shirt sales, all of the concession sales will go back into our community to help eradicate hunger for our youth. So that's really the, the backbone of what we want to do. It's a great cause. Lake Point Church is not getting any money from this event. We're giving it to you guys, okay? I don't want anybody... Oh, wow, it's a charity event. So all the money that you paid to watch people beat each other up in our church parking lot, we're not going to keep any of it. We're going to give it back to you. Oh, that's, uh, yeah. To leave here and not understand and know that God loves them. And uh, we're here, guys, uh, here to pray with you. And you're invited to come back tomorrow. Again, tomorrow at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15, if you want to sleep in a little bit, uh, we'll be here. And I promise you'll be... Or you want to heal up after having your nose broken. Welcome. And this is a place where you can belong. Have an amazing night. Go over there. And, and uh, if you see the fighters, thank them for putting on the show. Go buy a T-shirt. Go get some concessions and support Stomp Out Hunger. Have an amazing night. So, um... um <laughs> Yeah, so, you, okay, so we're going to have a mixed martial arts event um, in a church parking lot, um, in or, and oh, and it's okay, because 
we invited them to we invited people to come to our church and let them know that it doesn't matter what's in their past god loves them and is concerned about their future um by the way you know it um th- th- this seems to be a, a growing trend uh among seeker driven uh, guys i i'm seeing more and more of these churches holding these types of events and if you remember just recently we covered the story how guts church uh a guy died uh, he he, you know, he was in the ring at, at a non-sanctioned illegal illegal boxing match um and uh, and got punched in a way that uh, did uh, literally gave him a mortal wound and he died on his way to the hospital and uh, you know a lot of people who are new to fighting for the faith don't remember this because i haven't talked about this really since october of 2008 that's how long this has been but uh, back in October of 2008, I actually did a sermon review of, uh, of uh, put out by uh, Bill Shear of Guts Church. And in that sermon, he actually claimed that he isn't a sinner. I, I want to remind you of this because it's it actually is connected to this mixed martial art thing that uh, Greg Bears did there at LifePoint. But he, listen, uh, here's, here's Bill Shear telling everybody how he's not a sinner. Hang on. And I, and I know some of you guys are raised that... We're always sinners, even if even when we give our life to God. I'm not a sinner. If you'll ask me, you'll say, hey, Shear, are you a sinner? No. And I'll tell you quite simply why I'm not a sinner is because the Bible says God doesn't hear the sinner. Well, I'm telling you, God hears me. And you know what he does? He responds to my requests. Man, he, he, takes, he sits up on that throne and takes notice when I put a demand on his will. So, yeah, there you go. Um, Bill Shearer saying he's not a sinner. I wonder if he could look us in the face and you know didn't look me dead in the eye and say that he's still not a sinner after holding an illegal boxing match at the Guts Church parking lot that resulted in the death of somebody. And do, you, do you think that Bill Shearer is qualif- qualifies now as being a sinner? Yeah, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm just curious. But... Um, but so, so you got Greg Bears, uh, you know, who's a, an LCMS pastor gone seeker driven, uh, who's doing this kind of silly stuff. It's not even silly. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely, it's really represent reprehensible. Uh, Ed Young, uh, you know, at uh, Fellowship Church out there, he's he's doing stuff like this too. I mean, more and more of these guys are turning to this tactic, and this is somehow an, an outreach evangelism thing, um, which. Which is funny because if you spend any time reading the sermons and writings of the ancient church fathers, okay, um, they talk about the gladiatorial matches. They talk about uh, the people in their churches who go to these, go to the gladiatorial matches, and uh, I don't see really a a qualitative difference from a mixed martial arts. Uh, octagon cage fight being held in your church parking lot or uh, having a gladiatorial match. Now you're saying, well, wait a second, Chris, the, the gladiators fought to the death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that. That was, um, that was part of what that spectacle was all about. Um, you can make the case that, you know, Bill Shear over at Gus Church just, you know, held a gladiatorial match and somebody fought to the death and really did die. Um, but all of this is violence spectacle. Why do you attend a mixed martial arts event? Is it to help you have warm fuzzies inside? 
is the reason why that you attend is so that you can get a testosterone rush? Or is it to watch two guys just beat the snot out of each other and sit there and let that be what entertains you? You are literally being entertained while one guy is inflicting pain and suffering and wounds in a violent way on another human being. What does this have to do with Christ? What does this have to do with Jesus? What does this have to do with Christianity? I would say that this is the opposite. Christians are not encouraged in Scripture to glorify violence. They're not called in Scripture to glorify the beating and inflicting of pain and suffering on another human being. This is sadistic. This is sadistic, and all of this is being done in the name of outreach, in the name of evangelism. But here's the deal. I, I just played for you the video that was put out by Greg Bears, this great seeker-driven pastor in the LCMS, and um, I didn't hear the gospel. I didn't hear Christ and him crucified for our sins. I did not hear about our great God and Savior who suffered and died for us, nor did I hear the clarion call of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. In fact, if you were to preach that, preach you know, preach law and gospel at an event like this, I mean, people would probably walk away and accuse you of being a, a buzzkill. Um, yeah, the, um, so yeah, we've the, we've got some problems here, and this stuff is growing like crazy. It's growing like a weed, and it doesn't make any sense at all. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Any? I mean, can you redeem a mixed martial arts smackdown and make it Christian by telling everybody that it doesn't matter about what you've done in your past because, you know, God is God cares more about your future? Does that then redeem the fact that people are there to be entertained while watching somebody inflict inflict pain and suffering on another human being i just i i i just don't i don't see it i i i don't i i, I think this is i think what this is is completely antithetical to Christianity. It's the opposite of Christianity. This isn't evangelism. This is anti-evangelism. Well, this might get people to come to your church building to show up on a Sunday morning. Um, but apparently um, the ends do justify the means um, when it comes to these folks. Um, so we've got a, we've got a major, major problem. All right. Moving along, last segment before we go into our break, and then I'm going to play two good sermons from Pastor Ernie Lassman out there in uh, at Messiah Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington. And uh, and just to clear out, the, I, I need some good law gospel, Christ-centered preaching to clear out the filter and get the sludge out. But uh, he, he, here's a strange one. All right, this comes from the... Um, the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta. 
These were resolutions submitted for the 105th Annual Council of the uh, diocese, the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta. These are su- resolutions that were submitted, and one in particular caught the eye of uh, a listener, and they put posted the link to this on my um, Facebook wall. But this was uh, this resolution. This is Resolution R11-7. Resolution R11-7 from the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta. Um. The uh, this is submitted by the Reverend Benno D. Pattison, the rector of the Church of the Epiphany. <laughs> yeah, rector. Yeah, he just down he he just downright almost killed him. You know. Anyway, um, so uh, <clears throat> yeah, he's he's a rector, all right. But the the <clears throat> resolution R eleven seven, recognizing the contributions of Pelagius. Yeah, that's right. You you heard that right. They want to recognize the contributions of Pelagius. So here, here's how the resolution reads. That, by the way, Pelagius that would be the fifth uh, century heretic whose um, uh, false doctrine became known as the Pelagian heresy, the denial of original sin. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, the Reverend Benno D. Pattison uh, submitted this for the, for them to be voted on. Um, whereas the historical record of Pelagius's contribution to our theological tradition is shrouded in the political ambition of his theological antagonists, who sought to discredit what they felt was a threat to the empire and their ecclesiastical dominance, and whereas an understanding of his life and writings might bring more to bear on his good standing in our tradition, and whereas his restitution as a viable theological voice within our tradition might encourage a deeper understanding of sin and grace, free will, and the goodness of God's creation, and whereas, inasmuch as the historicity of Pelagius represents to some the struggle for theological exploration that is our birthright as Anglicans, be it resolved that this 105th Annual Council of the Diocese of Atlanta appoint a committee of discernment overseen by our bishop to consider these matters as a means to honor the contributions of Pelagius and reclaim his voice in our tradition and be it further resolved that this committee will report their conclusions at the next annual council. <laughs> ah, I see. Okay, so um so the uh, the the theological contributions of the heretic Pelagius um his voice was discredited because Augustine felt that he was a threat to the empire. Hmm. Right. And you want you want to reclaim the the theological voice and contributions of the heretic known as Pelagius. Well, I'm 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 um uh well, um I think the right thing to do with uh, the Reverend Benno D. Pattison is to um well, defrock him. And throw him out as a heretic. Uh, that's the only thing I can come up with. But again, this kind of goes back to um, a point that I was making last week. Okay, non-believing men, and now in the case of the Episcopal Church, women um, who are in the pulpit, 
they're not children of Christ. They're not children of God. They are literally children of their father, the devil, and they hate the truth and they love lies. These people, when when somebody who doesn't believe the historic Christian faith ascends to the pulpit, they do not go there to teach and proclaim and defend what the Bible teaches. They go there as agents of the devil and they want to unlock the doors of the church and let all of their heretical friends and teaching be the thing that's at the spotlight and at the center of what it is, whatever it is they're doing and preaching in their congregation. I mean, this is just a perfect example of it. So Ben O.D. Pattison does not believe the historic Christian faith. How do I know? Because he thinks Pelagius is a, is a hero whose voice has been suppressed by meanies who, uh, who, who were lackeys of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so an empire is bad. Yeah, and so it, uh, and so what we need to do is we need to reclaim this lost saintly voice within the Christian tradition, and uh, and uh, and and restore his good name and and put Pelagius where he belongs, right in the center of our theology as as a recognized. A true understander of what the Bible teaches regarding free will and sin and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Reverend Ben O.D. Pattison is a heretic, and he should be defrocked and thrown out. Why? Because if you don't throw him out, then the people at the Church of the Epiphany will have their faiths wrecked by the rector there. Uh, They'll have their, their faith shipwrecked if they haven't already. I mean, do you think that Benno D. Pattison is preaching Christ and him crucified for our sins? Preaching that we are by nature dead in trespasses and sins and children of the devil? Not at all. Not on your life. But see, it's not enough for him to, you know, quietly plod away and spread his heresy there at the Church of the Epiphany. No, 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 no. Now he wants his heresy to be recognized by the um, Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta and for the, a subcommittee there to discern that he that he's an okay guy. You know, just, I, you know it's just one of those things. If you don't, I mean, I, I don't know how else to interpret that. But, I mean, that's what's going on. He doesn't believe the historic Christian faith, and so he's um, on a mission because he's of his father, the devil. He's on a mission to destroy, attack, impugn, undermine and subvert the historic Orthodox Christian faith. All right, we are up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. need to rethink Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... (laughs) 
You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we are back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. We're going to do a Ernie Lastman twin spin. Clear the gunk out of my discernment filter. Man. Here at Fighting for the Faith, we are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. We are going to be listening to two sermons by the Reverend Ernie Lastman of Messiah Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington. The first one, we'll name the first one here, and then after this I'll tell you what the second one is. The first one is a Lutheran attempt at preaching on the sovereignty of God. <laughs> oh, man. The name of the sermon is God is in Control, and it's a sermon actually on the Old Testament reading uh, for the week of October 16th, 2011, taken from the uh, prophet Isaiah, chapter 45, verses 1 through 7. So uh, when Lutherans talk about the sovereignty of God, they say God is in control. (laughs) I may be billing this sermon like the wrong way. All right, let me. I'm going to kill the music here, and what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read to you the uh, the uh, Isaiah chapter 45 verses 1 through 7 from the ESV, uh, so that you can hear uh, uh, the text that the sermon is based on, and uh, and then we can go from there. The, here, here's what Isaiah chapter 45 verses 1 through 7 says: Thus says the Lord, this would be Yahweh, Yahweh, uh, to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him, to loose the belt of kings, to open doors before him, that gates may be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness 
and the hordes in secret places, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Beside me there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that the people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these things. Thus, the uh, text that makes the basis of this sermon, God is in Control, preached by Reverend Ernie Lassman, Messiah Lutheran Church, Seattle, Washington. Here we go. Grace, mercy, and peace be from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon for this morning is based upon our Old Testament lesson, Isaiah 45, verses 1 through 7. It's on the back of your bulletin for further review. My fellow redeemed in Christ, for several decades now, there's been a heated debate in our country about the separation of church and state. What does this saying mean? And how far does it go? Does this mean that God should not be referred to at all in any of our public discourse of our nation? Does it mean that religion is to be kept private and should be kept, therefore, quiet? Ever since the beginning of the Enlightenment in the late 17th and early 18th centuries, forces have been at work in Western civilization to diminish, if not to eliminate, God altogether. Because of advances in modern medicine and science and technology, modern man often thinks that he has no need at all for God. This was expressed formally by the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche in the 1800s and later in the 1960s with the death of God movement, yes, led by certain Christian theologians in the church. But think about it. If there is a God, if he is real, can people get rid of him simply by wanting him to be gone? The answer is rather obvious, is it not? And here's the real truth. We human beings are not in control. We're not in charge of our destiny. And let's just think about our current times that we live in. Think how unsettled our times are. Wide concerns about the world economy widespread and increasing violence, pervasive corruption, class warfare and division, just to mention a few things. If you've not noticed, there's anxiety in the air. What does our future hold? And any good, competent historian would tell you, this is nothing new. It's simply the ongoing sad saga of humanity. And so that's why it's important this morning that we get everything back in perspective and hear the message of Isaiah this morning who tells us that God is indeed in control. To the prophet Isaiah, God says that he is intimately involved with the history of the world. Many passages say that, Old and New Testament. God is not on vacation. God is not sleeping. And so the mother of our Lord says in that wonderful Magnificat, 
God has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Luke 1, 51 and 52. And that's precisely what God is saying to the prophet Isaiah this morning. Because in those days, God was going to use Cyrus, king of the Medes and the Persians, for his very own purposes. God, through the prophet Isaiah, spoke about Cyrus some 150 years before he was even born. You can read in any history book how the Persians defeated the Babylonians in 539 B.C. But what you won't read about in the history books is that was God's will. And that was God's doing. As we read in our lesson, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, and remember Cyrus is a non-Jew, a pagan. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings. Before Cyrus came to power, the Babylonians looked invincible, unbeatable, but God had other plans. He was going to use Cyrus, as he says to the prophet Isaiah, I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. In other words, God does what he says because God is almighty. The maker of heaven and earth when God says something, there should be no doubt it's going to be done because he's God. That's what he says several times to Isaiah. Listen to one time. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it's no different today. It's the same God. The same God who's in charge in Isaiah's day is the same God who's in charge today. And you and I need this constant reminder because of at least two closely related reasons. First of all, as I alluded to, because of our technology and science and modern medicine, it's very easy for us human beings to fall into hubris, become arrogant and proud and thinking that we're actually in charge of things. Oh, really? Have you been watching the news lately? In the last capital, a couple of years, have you seen all those natural disasters? Hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, volcanoes, and fire, not to mention all the increasing violence around the world and our worldwide economic woes. And surely you've heard the dialogue in the news how human resources are being stretched to their limits to deal with all these problems. And you know what? It could get worse. Oh, yeah. Those human resources could break. It could get much, much worse, and maybe it will. I don't know. But what I'm saying is this is God's way of reminding us that not even Americans can do anything they put their minds to. How many times have we heard that one? No, we're not in charge. God is in charge. Now, I realize, I know, just like you, it doesn't look like God's in charge, does it? What about all those natural disasters that I just mentioned? Worldwide violence and economic woes. Well, where's God in those natural disasters? In that violence? In those economic woes? 
That's what he says. I make well-being and create calamity. Create calamity. Now, why would he do that? Well, let me help you here. If this world was peachy keen, everything was just wonderful and perfect, no problems, no heartaches, just a wonderful world, how many people do you think would seek out God? And you know the answer, don't you? Here's the typical response. Well, why do I need God? I have everything I want. Right? So God works through all these historical events and through nations to show us that we need him in history. Listen to what the Proverbs say. The Lord works out everything for his own ends. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Now, of course, this is a matter of faith. How do you prove this? But we believe it because God says it to us, and we believe it even when it looks like he's not in control. Indeed, when the people of Israel were in Babylonian captivity for 70 years, I'm sure it did not look like God was in control. But he was. And soon his people would see that he was in control. Because God says to Isaiah, he was going to act. And he was going to act on behalf of his people. God was going to use Cyrus, a pagan, the king of the Medes and the Persians, to deliver his people from their Babylonian captors and return them to the promised land, just as God explains. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you Cyrus by your name. I name you. I name you. Even though you do not know me, In other words, God was saying about and to Cyrus, even though you don't know me, Cyrus, even though you don't believe in me, even though I'm not your God, I'm going to use you. And I'm going to use you for my own noble purposes to save my own people from the Babylonians. Now, if you know your Bible a little bit, this was nothing new because 70 years earlier, he had done the same thing with the Babylonians, hadn't he? Remember how he used the Babylonians? His people had become unfaithful. They were worshiping after all the other gods around them and living openly wicked and sinful lives. And God warned them and warned them and warned them through his servants, the prophets, and they never responded. So finally God acted. And it was God, God, who brought the Babylonians to the promised land and destroyed his people and took them off into captivity just as he had warned them through the prophet Jeremiah. But this is what the Lord says. I will hand all Judah over to the king of Babylon, who will carry them away to Babylon or put them to the sword. Chapter 20, verse 4. God is in control of history and nations. He used the pagan Babylonian empire to remove his people from the promised land. And he was about to use the Persians and the Medes to bring them back to the promised land. For what purpose? Only so that the seed of the woman, the Messiah, the Christ, could be born on the promised land as God himself had said. And so then, as we'll soon hear at Christmas, the right time, according to God's plan, he sent his son into the world as he had promised long ago. As Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, but when the time had fully come, 
God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Finally, God fulfilled his promise, sent his beloved son into this world to save all of humanity from death and damnation that sin brought into this world. And he did it by living a life in your place, a sinless life in the place of your sinful life. And then taking your place once again on that cross and dying a death that you are not worthy of. So that you might have forgiveness and peace with God. And so then Jesus Christ was born exactly when and where God wanted him to be born. Indeed, he was born during that time that historians call the Pax Romana. A Latin phrase for the Roman peace. This was a time of unparalleled peace in the ancient world making it much easier to spread the gospel. It was a time when the Romans had built the best highway system the world had ever seen, making the spread of the gospel that much easier. It was a time when Greek was the international language of the day, making the spread of the gospel that much easier. And it was all doing by God and planned by him. Indeed, it all happened because he used Cyrus, king of the Medes and the Persians, to destroy the Babylonians and to bring his people back where Jesus could be born. And then after his death, he was raised from the dead. And as we confess in the creed, he ascended into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And what that means is, everything that I just said about God being in control, now we can say about this man, Jesus Christ. That same man is in control of all human history and nations, indeed the whole universe to judge the living and the dead one day when he comes back and you realize how comforting this is I mean think about this we don't think about it enough the very same man who loved you so much to die in your place a death you did not deserve that same man rules everything and he is your savior in John's gospel Jesus says in this world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus tells us what we all know, don't we? You live long enough in this life. You know, there's lots of bad things in this world. Suffering and tragedies and heartaches and problems. And yes, indeed, some things that we don't understand and we can't even explain, myself included. And I am sure each one of us here this morning could tell some story about this. And we live in a time of uncertainty and anxiety. The stock market and the economy have struggled. Unemployment is up. Our nation seems to be drifting. There seems to be serious divisions in our country about the direction that we should be going. And yet, and yet, God is in control. No doubt during the Babylonian captivity, that was very hard for the people of Israel to believe. Certainly didn't look like he was in control until he raised up Cyrus king of the Medes and the Persians, and used him for his own purpose to deliver his people from the Babylonians and to return them to the promised land. And so it is with us. I know. I know. It might not look like Jesus Christ is in control, but think how that's all going to change when one day he comes back visibly to judge the living and the dead and take us to our promised land. That new heaven and that new earth that is prepared for us. It will be very clear. In the meantime then, in the midst of things we do not always understand, 
We believe Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, is in control. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, our challenge is not to forget this wonderful and comforting truth. Amen. Amen. Okay, that's sermon number one. Sermon number two for our uh, Ernie Lastman twin spin is a sermon based upon, uh, well, Philippians. It's uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. The name of the sermon is Two Kinds of Righteousness. Now, I'm going to have to read the the, uh, the the epistle text. It's interesting that we got two different sermons from Pastor Lastman, and neither of them is actually on a particular gospel text, but instead are taken from... Uh, you know, either the Old Testament or the uh, epistle reading. But we read, um, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is fr- uh, that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that is from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death that I by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's the sermon, second sermon that we're going to do tonight, and the last one. Two Kinds of Righteousness, by Pastor Ernie Lassman. Here we go. Grace, mercy, and peace be from God our Father and our risen Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon for this morning is based upon our second lesson, Philippians 3, 4-14. It's on the back of your bulletin for further review. My fellow redeemed in Christ, the Bible frequently speaks about righteousness. And in our modern society, we don't use that term very often, but we do use it and we know what it means. Righteousness is being good and doing the right thing. So a righteous person is someone who does good things that are right. A righteous person avoids those things that are bad and wrong. And so then there is a problem, however, when we look at righteousness, because who determines that? Who determines what is good and bad? Who determines what is right and wrong? Throughout history and even in our own day, many people would answer, well, we do. Human beings determine what is right and wrong and good and bad. But of course, that's not true. That's the problem that Adam and Eve fell into in the Garden of Eden. They wanted to decide what was good and bad, right and wrong. No, we don't decide those things. God decides those things, and rightly so. Because unlike you and me, God is holy. God is pure. God is sinless. God is righteous. And that's why he's the standard of right and wrong, good and bad. 
It is God who determines what is righteous and who is righteous. But this gets even more confusing. For example, if I were to ask you this morning, if you were a righteous person, the right answer that you should give is, no, I am not, but yes, I am. That's the answer you should give. And if you do not understand how you can not be righteous and be righteous at the same time, then you do not understand your Christian faith as you should, and especially the gospel. So then let us listen to the great apostle Paul this morning as he explains to us the two kinds of righteousness. The first kind of righteousness is the best known, the most common kind of righteousness, and that is your righteousness, how you live your life. Are you a good person? Well, maybe your family or your friends think you are, but God doesn't, certainly not on the basis of how you live your life. This first kind of righteousness is based upon trying to be a good person, trying to live according to God's law. And the idea behind this kind of righteousness is that people are a mixture, a mixture of good and a mixture of bad. And we put the bad and the, school, uh, the bad and the good in the scales. If the good outweighs the bad, that's a good person. And so, for example, we can use President John Kennedy, who was assassinated in 1962. Many people during his lifetime and even after consider John Kennedy a good person. And yet after his life, it came out with the press and other things that he was not faithful to his beloved wife, Jackie, that he committed adultery not only once, but on numerous occasions. And yet some people still think, in those scales of good and bad, that the good of John Kennedy outweighed his bad, and so he is a good person. On the other hand, we consider someone a bad person if in those scales of good and bad, the bad outweighs the good. And a common example we could use would be Adolf Hitler. We would all agree he did some horrible, bad things. And yet after World War II, it came out in his home movies and in history books that even Adolf Hitler could be thoughtful and tender. And yet people would say, yeah, but all the, those things about being thoughtful and tender could not outweigh all the bad things that he did. So he is a bad person. Well, that's the way we look at things, but that's not the way God looks at things. When it comes to righteousness, he sees people as either all good or all bad. That is not, there is not a mixture with him. As I said a couple of Sundays ago, he looks at righteousness like being pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You're either righteous or you're not righteous. But there's no mixture of good and bad. Well, why is that? Because God made us in his image. God made us in his likeness. And he's not a mixture of good and bad. He's all good. He's pure. He's holy. He's sinless. And yes, that's what he expects us to be too. Pure, holy, sinless, perfect. And when Adam and Eve, you remember, committed that first sin, that one sin, one sin, they were no longer righteous. And that's why they had to leave the Garden of Eden. And before the Apostle Paul became a, a Christian, he also, as a devout Pharisee, a zealous Pharisee, as he describes in our lesson this morning, tried to be right with God by being a good person. But finally he came to that place in his life, he realized he could never, ever be good enough. That's what he says, not having a righteousness of my own, 
that comes from the law. And even after we become Christians, even after we have saving faith in Jesus Christ and we are born again, we are still not good enough to be right with God on the basis of how we live our lives. Even Christians are still a mixture, are we not? Of good and bad, as Paul says in his letter to the Romans, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 25. And we just admitted that a little while ago. That's why we confess our sins at the beginning of every divine service, that we're a mixture, that we're not all good. That's for sure that sin is still in our lives. Not even the great apostle Paul. He says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. And so if you were with us, we heard in a sermon a few weeks ago that we all struggle daily with sin and temptation. Just as our Lutheran confessions say in the formula of Concord, but since in this life we received only the first fruits of the Spirit and regeneration is not as yet perfect, but has only been begun in us, this conflict and warfare of the flesh against the Spirit continues also in the elect and the truly reborn so then you see, on the basis of how we keep God's law, we are not good people. We are sinners. We agree with the Apostle Paul. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And so this means then that our goodness, our righteousness, is not good enough to have a good relationship with God or get to heaven. But our righteousness is bad enough to earn us death and eternal damnation. As Paul says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Sin pays off with death. So then, no one, not even Christians, are righteous before God on the basis of how good they are or how they live. Ah. But there's another kind of righteousness. A second kind of righteousness that the world knows nothing about, but we do. And we want to tell the whole world about it. The second kind of righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which God gives to us as a gift. Paul talks about it in our lesson. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if we could be righteous, in God's sight, on the basis of what we do, on the basis of how good we are, on the basis of keeping God's law, then why in the world would we need Jesus? But as I've already reminded you, we can never be good enough. But this is where God's love comes in. God so loved the world, that first Christmas and the cross. God has loved us so much to give us the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of his own beloved son, Jesus Christ, who never sinned, not even once. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Indeed, in John's gospel, on one occasion, the disciples said this to Jesus, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One. Of God. The Holy One of God. And then to see that love, the Holy One of God died on that cross for those who are not holy. For you and for me. 
He canceled our debt of sin to God in that death. And so Peter says in his first letter, For Christ also suffered once for sins, all sins, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's you and me, that he might bring us to God. There's the good news, that he might bring us to God, because as we trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, God considers you and me to be righteous in his sight, holy in his sight, sinless in his sight. Jesus Christ is our righteousness before God. This is given to us as a gift from God, and we receive it by faith, simply believing this promise that God gives to us in his beloved Son. And so once again, Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And it is this righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that gives us peace with God. And the hope of the resurrection from the dead to everlasting life. And so then I hope you understand that compared to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our own, our own righteousness, as Paul says, is rubbish comparing the two. Why in the world would we want to trust, put our confidence in our flawed, imperfect, sinful righteousness when we have been invited by God to trust in the perfect righteousness of his beloved son, Jesus Christ? This is the gospel. God sees you through the eyes of his son, Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ before God, you are righteous. You are holy. You are sinless. That's what it means to receive the gift of Christ's righteousness. Well, then there's always somebody, you know, that's saying, Oh, that's great. That means we can sin all we want, right? <laughs> well, of course not. Is that what you want to do? You want to sin all you want? No, you don't. Well, why don't you? Because this gift of righteousness given to you by God and his love has changed your heart. In Jesus Christ, you now love God because you know how much he has loved you. And it is this love of God that's changed your heart that you want to please God. You want to live God for God, not simply because you're told to, but because you want to do that. Not to become righteous in his sight. You want to do that because you already are righteous in his sight. And so then Paul says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, as Christians, we try each and every day by God's grace and spirit to be what we already are. What's that? Perfectly righteous. You see how different the world's understanding of righteousness is? The world's understanding of righteousness is this. You try to be a good person, and then you're declared to be righteous. That's not the way it is with God. Yes, you try to be a good person, but not to become righteous. You try to be a good person and live for God because you already are righteous in Christ. So then in our lesson, Paul says, I count everything as loss. 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may be, uh, gain Christ and be found in him. And Paul could say that because he knew the two kinds of righteousness. Before he trusted in Christ, he trusted in his own righteousness. But eventually he learned his righteousness could never be good enough to satisfy God's perfect expectations. And once he learned about the gift of the righteousness of Christ, he could give that up. He could stop trusting in his own righteousness. And so it is with us. On your deathbed and on the judgment day, you will not find any comfort or hope or joy or peace by trusting in your righteousness. Because I assure you, your conscience will point out to you all the things you've done that you should not have done. And all the things you should have done that you did not do. But because of Jesus Christ and his righteousness, you will be able to find peace, joy, comfort, and hope on the day of your death and on the day of the resurrection. It is the gift of righteousness in Christ. And this gift is given to you in only three places. The gospel word written and proclaimed. Your baptism. And in the Lord's Supper. For it's through these means of grace you receive the forgiveness of sins. And with that forgiveness you receive the gift of righteousness. I don't know how often you think about it. But that's why you come here on Sundays. You come here to receive through the forgiveness of sins. Through the means of grace. To receive the gift of righteousness. And all the peace, joy, comfort and hope that comes with it. And as a result. To give thanks and praise to God, not only with your lips, but yes, indeed, with your lives. We give thanks to God for that gift, that precious gift. Amen. Amen. Two fantastic sermons. Oh, <laughs> just excellently done. Good preaching seems effortless. And uh, and Ernie Lastman just did a fantastic job there. And even on the sovereignty of God issue, points us to Christ, points us to Christ, points us to Christ. Just well, well done. And a good way to clear out the gunk from my discernment filter from the bad sermons that we've been listening to this week. All right, so we are at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. And just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. We depend upon you and your generous gifts to keep bringing this important radio outreach program to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, visit our website and click on one of those friendly yellow buttons or make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what would you think? You know, I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ in his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.